0: Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm producer Bill. And today we're going to talk about whether superhero fatigue is A, real, B, the greatest, and C, necessary on some level. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about this subject with you today, Bill.
1: Yeah, we're living in this place and time where everybody is convinced that Marvel is just imploding. And with that comes this opinion that like superhero fatigue has finally hit us. And I think... If that's the case, which I think is an open question, maybe it's a good thing because maybe we need that cultural reset. Maybe we need to take a step back and maybe that opens up the field for more interesting stories to be told when everybody isn't just rushing to cash in on the same superhero formula.
0: I just want to say I saw the Marvels, this concept that it's this huge bomb that shook the world and it's like Oppenheimer but in reverse or something is just preposterous. I mean it's not I'm not saying it's Citizen Kane of comic book movies. Uh but I I think there's so many um theories about the direction that uh Marvel is going and stuff that I would like to intelligent people to talk about, not not sure. race baiters and fear mongers and assholes <laughs> or super cheerleader types frankly that want to just see representation at any cost. We are not either one of those things. So I think that we could talk about uh there there was a theory they said something about like there is a, a a princessification of disney products not just about making them marketed towards young girls it seems like there is there's sort of a fairy taleification of the way that disney seems to want to present superhero fare and i was like i kind of can see that but i think part of the part of the whole thing of disney is not to sell the same product all the time they've always sort of diversified what they were selling. So I don't think they're trying to make comic book movies into princess movies. I think that's reductive. And I think it's their way to try to explain away how many women finally get the mic or something. Yeah, But I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's real.
1: Yeah. That's a weird point of view.
0: Um,
1: I have not seen the Marvels. Uh, so, you know, take it easy on the spoilers, but I will say outside of the Marvels, I don't even know what you would hold up as evidence for that claim.
0: Well, well, what about uh, the Hawkeye lady? It's like, uh, did she get like a slipper or something and become the best Hawkeye? Or did she like see Hawkeye and want to emulate his masculine heroic ideal, frankly, and, and, you know, break her ass to try to get good like that? And fail a bunch and then get mentored by, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, even that is yeah. sort of like, I can't see where they're going with that. Is, is werewolf by night a girl? Is moon night a girl? Is daredevil a girl? You know, uh, she Hulk finally getting something. Isn't a princessification of anything. I, I, I don't get it.
1: No, I don't either. And I mean, I, I don't know what you really mean by the princessification. If not the idea that like, all right, we're going to focus on young women who are, lost in the world and unsatisfied with life and they stumble into an adventure that reveals to them they actually have a secret connection to something royal or magical or elevated and through the adventure they claim their rightful quote-unquote throne. First of all that has similarities with your archetypal superhero story to begin with But second of all, I mean, I wouldn't apply that formula to what I saw in the Hawkeye series. I wouldn't apply that formula to what I saw in the Black Widow movie. I'm just trying to think of, of, or excuse me, yeah, the Black Widow movie. I'm just trying to think of Marvel products that have been featuring young women. And I, I can't help but just feel like that is the only common thread in that complaint.
0: Is it a veiled uh, attempt to just assail Miss Marvel? Because technically, she hits all the bits sure. you're talking about from being sure to an ancient lineage, blah blah blah, uh, special gal from Jersey. But how is that? I just don't understand how that's different than Luke Skywalker. Is Luke Skywalker a princess? I mean, I also think that like one does not a pattern make. And
1: and you know, uh-huh. I, I from what I understand, Carol Danvers goes through some royal shenanigans in in the Marvels. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I guess that's two, but even that, like, yeah, is that a pattern? Well, I I just, just I just
0: bring it up for smart people to debunk it. I think you keyed on it very uh, poignantly in the beginning about because Marvel's fallen off, that means all superhero stuff has fallen off. That doesn't even make any sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting things I read recently um, was, I guess there was reporting, around that like deep dive into the MCU book that just came out. Um, And by all accounts, it was like somebody who was embedded sort of with the Marvel production team over the course of years to really compile this, this tell all, you know, without the sort of sordid tabloid associations that that word might carry about how Marvel came to dominate Hollywood. And one of the kind of choicest excerpts, was talking about how once Disney plus decided to double down on Marvel streaming television projects, Kevin Feige got stretched too thin. And that is a talking point that I could see having real legs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that was always going to happen at some point. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the nature of success in creative media. You can only be successful until you get promoted out of doing the thing you're good at. Mm -hmm. And especially somebody in a producer role. And so just because Marvel finally hit those growing pains, I don't know how that translates to the culture is just over superheroes. Aside from the fact that really Marvel became synonymous with the idea of media superheroes over the past 10 years. But I don't know that consumers are sort of that myopic that like once a couple Marvel projects fail to meet expectations, that just means that superheroes are done and over. I I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time buying that.
0: Well, I mean, we're always really intense on the sky is falling thing. And I just, I just harkened back to the, the nineties, frankly. And I looked at the landscape of movies and I just knew that the superhero movie was next. Or shortly before Blade came out, I like wrote this article for like Script Magazine online and I submitted it to be read because I met one of the ladies that ran it at a, a screenwriting conference, at, you know, as like a teen. And I, f- I basically broke down in the article. I was like, look, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone have been acting like they were superheroes for 10, 15 fucking years. So it's only a natural next step to have actual superheroic people on screen. And the technology is here for us to make dinosaurs and all this extracurricular bullshit. I think that's the next thing. And when it came to pass, like obviously I felt like a genius, but obviously it, it was just the same. It's the target that everybody sees that they can't shoot at yet because technology doesn't exist or the, the zeitgeist that the people aren't 35, 45, 55 years old who have the power to make these things happen aren't there yet. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was like that idea was waiting on somebody with Hollywood cred like Feige to take an interest in this sort of thing. And even then they did the, the, the simplest thing they could do, which is get a great actor, a distressed asset. So they could afford him at the time. So get a cheap, good actor, make a role around this cheap, good actor so that that's kind of your production value for the most part. And then when he puts on that goddamn suit, wow the fuck out of him and have the world be like a different sort of world that we've seen before. Like Iron Man doesn't take place in the same world that Top Gun takes place in. Or, right. or commando or something Take make, make it have a graduation of the sort of world, the geopolitics, make the geopolitics, this sort of paper mache geopolitics, for lack of a better term, that we kind of love in superhero fare. You know, just a bunch of generals going, get the Hulk or a bunch of generals <laughs> going, who, who flew past my experimental plane in, an ex- in a more experimental thing? Damn it, McGarnacle! That sort of paper mache way of looking at you know uh, military politics. I think that was perfect for the time, and it was like it was. I think it was always going to happen. The fact that it happened so well is a testament to Feige and straight up uh, Favreau and the team of improvisers they had work on the fucking screenplay. Sure,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a it was a very special sort of uh, what do you call alchemy that. Made Iron Man as successful as it was. But I also think that the larger project of creating the Marvel Universe was very much down to like, and I know that we tend to overpraise Kevin Feige, but I do think it's true that there was one guy that had the capacity to kind of build this in the right way, to manage the creative people in a way that like they didn't, maybe all the time at least, feel like they were getting micromanaged. And yet everything was sort of building on itself and, and leading up to these big things and they weren't contradicting each other. You know, superheroes had been a part of cinema. Superheroes have been a part of cinema going back to the freaking thirties and forties and, and the serials mm-hmm. for Batman, Superman and, and Captain Marvel and things like that. But the idea of taking the comic book interconnected universe, I think is, is on paper very, um, at odds with the way that Hollywood works. You know, every movie is essentially like a new startup company, right? Like, and, and right down to how the money is managed and who's running things and what those power struggles are like, it's like, there is no real continuity from project to project in most Hollywood studios. So the fact that you could actually manage that is the real achievement, I was the first one to think like, well, this isn't going to last forever. And I don't know that it's breaking down now. But again, I think it's short-sighted to, to misconstrue like, ah, the deftness with which Marvel sort of interweaves these narratives is breaking down with the idea that, oh man, people are sick of superheroes. And I think, you know, one of the the feathers in my cap for saying that is if you look at something like the northmen if you look at something like everything everywhere all at once like those are essentially superhero stories and the one great thing that like the interconnected marvel universe and the more direct translation from page to screen has given to movies is the ability to work with sort of these weird off the wall concepts in a way that doesn't feel either campy or doesn't fail completely And now, you know, other filmmakers are sort of taking those lessons and and infusing them into projects that aren't necessarily like dudes in spandex fighting supervillains, right? This idea that like just because Marvel isn't what it was five years ago means that superheroes are done. That's just not a proposition that holds a lot of water.
0: Well, especially when we look at all the different stuff that's being done. From I think uh, off air, we were talking about things like a Peacemaker. You know, mm. uh, things like uh, Gen V and the Boys, uh, respectively. Oh. Uh, Dude,
1: you know, I I recently binged Gen V once all of the episodes were released, and that show is both quite different than the Boys and just as good. And I know that the boys might not be everybody's cup of tea. It's crass. It's, it's gross at a lot of times. And it's very, um, there's no sacred cows with the boys. But the one thing I won't hear is that the boys doesn't know how to tell a story and doesn't know how to create compelling characters. And that carried right on through to Gen V like that. You want to talk about creating an interconnected universe like that broadened the boys universe in kind of the best of all possible ways.
0: Mm -hmm. And I haven't quite seen the entirety of the season. So light on the spoilers, but I have seen enough, like maybe like five, six episodes in to be like, wow. Okay. I can obviously see the limitations of budget, but they're not glaring and shitty. They're like, these are this world superheroes and this is what it takes. This is what this world Superman slash Johnny storm would look like blowing himself up or whatever or blowing some other people up this is what like this is what super strength looks like in this world this is what super speed looks like in this world just just go with it and once you do that it's all about like the politics of what superheroes mean in this world and i think what we may be getting tired of we meaning the populace is just like uh this guy is a super soldier this guy is a space guy they're just gonna go have adventures and have fun and do quips and i think we're like realizing that like well, maybe a space Viking might want to, like, assault everybody. And, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe this person would want to do X, Y, Z. Maybe people who are in superhero dumb are in it because they're literally insane. And then being insane could mess up some of the other parts of being a superhero. You know, it doesn't always have to be something dark and subversive and, you know, kind of uh, evil. Or it doesn't have to be Superman uh, Me Too or Superman Scarface all the time to be interesting. <laughs> There's these other things to superheroic worlds, uh, especially when you look at the boys. I mean, we've talked about this before, but the boys is not the world of evil superheroes. The boys is the world of corporate superheroes. In Marvel, the superheroes are basically an adjunct of the U.S. military, period. And anytime Mm -hmm. they stop being an adjunct of the U.S. military, they run afoul of them, which is great for, you know, conflict in the stories and stuff. But it just shows you how much cops they are. There's so much cops that they can get their badge and their gun taken and have to go on the case by themselves and stuff. When in reality, they're supposed to be vigilantes to start with. You know what I'm saying? So it, just, it shows you For how sure. how Michael Bay, if you understand what I'm saying, the fucking uh, uh, Michael Bay as in rubber stamp by the U.S. military sure. that most superhero movies are in Marvel. I don't think it's that way with the other stuff uh, from Invincible to the boys. It, it, they're t- taking on different aspects of superhero rather than uh, just the sort of, are you the military or are you not? Are you on our team or not? That's not even part of the, of the boys' shit, really.
1: But I think that that speaks to the idea that, you know, a superhero story is kind of only as strong as the milieu that you put the superhero in. And we've talked a lot on previous episodes about, like, my idea for the DC universe being sort of this very outwardly science fiction kind of hard sci-fi universe. And like, if you don't make it that the stories fall kind of flat, see Mm. the Zack Snyder movies. And you've spoken extensively of your love for the street level superheroes and guys like daredevil and the punisher and Wolverine. And the idea that like, In order to make those guys the most interesting versions of themselves, you have to put them in a street-level world where people can get beat up on a street corner and, you know, the problems are everyday problems. And then this one outsized figure steps into that world and suddenly everything is up for grabs because of it. And so Marvel created a really interesting formula going all the way back to that first Iron Man of, like, what happens when the military industrial complex essentially breeds superheroes and you see that line run through captain america the hulk hawkeye and black widow being straight up Mm ex-spies like that was the milieu i think there might be something to be said for the fact that marvel has kind of broken that milieu you know now it's like You've got the kid from New Jersey, to to use the Miss Marvel example. You've got, you know, space gods with Thor and with Captain Marvel. You've got um, Shang-Chi, whatever the hell that's supposed to be. And I don't say that pejoratively, but it's like that hasn't tied into anything else that Marvel's ever given us. So maybe some of this idea of fatigue is also just not really understanding, like, What is the milieu that this is supposed to exist in? And you contrast that with something like The Boys, where to your point, it's very clearly, no, this is about what happens when superheroes become a commodity. And Mm -hmm. what does that look like in our ultra capitalistic country? That is a really interesting milieu and we haven't seen it before. And so to me, I think that's that's a lot of the bag here. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's a real open question for like what James Gunn is going to do with the DC universe on screen. I think if you can reinvent the milieu in which you're using your superheroes, they can be every bit as vital again. But you got to, you know, it, it can't just be eh, whatever the single movie needs, it's going to be that. Because then when you start to try to convince us that those movies connect in some way, you end up with the DC movies where Aquaman is set in a magical undersea kingdom and Wonder Woman is set in a magical hidden kingdom, but also in like the trenches of World War One. And Blue (laughs) Beetle is in some kind of Miami techno futuristic ish, you know, superheroes. Uh, have been around for generations thing man of steel is like this ultra realistic aliens have dropped in the middle of you know a mundane everyday life and suddenly it's like i don't fucking know where we are so i don't know that's sort of my long rant of like superhero fatigue is really just i don't understand what these stories are doing anymore to me that's what it is
0: well, and also, it just seems like when you come out of a, a world where w- uh, there's been so much made of the plan, I saw a viral tweet that went out and was just like, it's so obvious that Marvel um plan this from the beginning and all the way up to end game was just like it's it's so obvious that they actually did it and that they were doing it on the fly and that it was super cool that they were kind of grabbing these threads as they were falling down a a, a fucking cliff and tying them into an unbreakable rope that's baller as fuck i think they had
1: a plan in so much as they knew we are going to start with super soldiers and we are going to find out that the government and these super villains have access to infinity stones. And we know at some point those infinity stones are going to come together on Thanos's hand. And I don't know that they had a plan beyond that, but that is good enough. Mm. And like, that's enough that if you commit to that and you let that guide all of your screenwriting, we're doing super soldiers and they're going to find themselves in over their heads on this cosmic level threat that's based on these MacGuffins that we thread through as many stories as possible. And that's the thing that we're missing. You know, I sympathize with the idea that like, oh, phase four and phase five didn't have a plan. I sympathize with that because it's not as clean as what I just said. And I, it's clearly the plan is there's a multiverse. We have not gotten any indication that there is more to it than that. And I think that's where some of the frustration builds.
0: The Marvel universe has always had a weird schism between the X characters and the Avengers characters. Mm. From being in the '80s when the X characters were just dominating to the point where they were they were calling uh the the Avengers like the Unsellables or something like that you know what I'm saying they were like <laughs> they were like just a shitty team. Occasionally they'd have Captain America on there, but they had a bunch of also rans and bums and weirdos on the team for a while in the '80s and '90s, and it just wasn't the shit. Meanwhile, the fucking X Men are blowing up the charts. They're the most recognizable Marvel thing, including Spider Man. For like years in the 90s. And uh, I think it just has made this schism where we would need some sort of almost multiversal situation to bring them together at this point. And I just think that that's it's fallen into their laps as they bought Fox and now they have a nice monopoly for all the nerds to salivate over. But it is just interesting to me how like it may take an actual slamming of the toys together through a multiverse sort of thing to make it make that universe fit together in a way that frankly it's never fit together in marvel every time captain america is talking to a f- professor x i want to vomit it doesn't even yeah. seem, seem like the same world
1: and you know what's interesting to me about that people have talked about this for years but like it doesn't make sense that in a world that hates and fears mutants it's just a given that everybody will go Oh, no, but Captain America, he's cool. But Iron Man and Spider-Man, like, they're cool. It's just these other fucking guys we hate. And mm. what I what's frustrating to me is, like, Marvel has an opportunity in the aftermath of the blip to just create this idea that people now are fucking sick of and terrified of super people. It would make mm. total sense. Like... Mm how much damage did the blip do that we've seen sort of play out over and over again in opening scenes and after credit scenes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's the perfect milieu into which to introduce the X-Men. And suddenly you get that thing that has made X-Men so vital in the comics, which is that no matter what you can always go back to, we are trying to do good for a world that hates and fears us. Mm -hmm. and, and, Again, like that's not the only secret sauce, but it's so fundamental to why those things have such longevity. Why those books, those teams. And, and I, it goes back to my original point of like you need to create the right milieu to where the idea of the superhero allows you to actually interrogate something rather than just being about a good guy beats up a bad guy that's the thing that they're not doing and i think that's been a lot of people's frustration even if they can't articulate it about like why is it taking so long to integrate the x-men because it's like in the absence of anything as compelling as the world has turned on the idea of superpowers you just get now there's a multiverse let's check it out i don't think the multiverse is a missed opportunity but i feel like if all we're going to get out of it is like, oh, this is an easy way to bring in the Fox properties. It's a little bit like why? And, and beyond that, I still have that question of like, all right, you created the multiverse and that's dope as shit. But from a story perspective, why I am not one of those people that's like, oh, Marvel's just completely fucking lost it. But I, I can sympathize with that one point that there is not that good, clean super soldiers We're messing with things we can't understand. And suddenly we have to go up against this thing that none of us are prepared to confront. Right. So even if not every story articulated that perfectly, it was always there. I'm just missing that. Why for like, what is the multiverse doing? What is it going to ask of the world and of these heroes in particular? And like, that's, that's where I think Marvel has dropped the ball a little bit, if you can say that. I don't know if you agree.
0: Well, I mean, I, I the way that I agree is that you can't just decide to do another thing like Thanos. Uh, the concept sure. that Kang was ever going to be able to be the new Thanos is like insane. Um, I personally thought that they would... Get off on the Kang thing of he has so many variants and all these different variants, and then like the, 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 just thousands of them, and you have to have a big war. Like, because back in the days, uh, secret war was all the bad guys and all the good guys were dropped upon a blank tabula rasa planet with like oceans and continents and shit, but basically just large swaths of battlefields, maybe a little game to kill so you could eat some food. But other than that, just this weird proto world. And the Hmm. heroes and the villains made different encampments, and tellingly, the X-Men made a separate encampment from the other heroes, Hmm. causing the heroes to rankle a little bit and causing Spider-Man to go and investigate the X-Men and see what they were doing. You know what I mean? It was that sort of division in the hero ranks, whereas the villain ranks were fighting amongst themselves, but they were kind of put together by doom, more or less. And they seem to be more of a cohesive army, actually. So it was like the heroes were kind of fractured and the bad guys were together. I think we have an opportunity maybe to have the secret wars be about, well, there was an opportunity, I thought, before certain um, things happened with Jonathan Majors, which he may have even gotten exonerated for, but it maybe doesn't matter, you know, after the court of public opinion has fucked up the stock prices or whatever. Uh, So I don't know that they can make it. I would have thought it was kind of cool to have a giant bunch of Kangs that have decided that these heroes have are fucking up time m- fighting in a weird battlefield with all the heroes. I think that could have been kind of cool. You know, it could be a little hokey, but you know, I think it might've been pretty cool. Now I think I, it's going to be more. The universe is tying together thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, who knows how much the Jonathan majors thing did or did not impact their plans. All I'll say is from the beginning, I was expecting like, all right, as these movies unfold, we're going to start to get more and more Kang. And, you know, I think Spider-Man No Way Home was a great example of like, all right, as an early phase four, mid phase four movie, that's laying the groundwork, right? There's some multiverse shenanigans. And then we go into Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, to me, that's like, all right, they think they defeat Kang. Now fucking Kang better be showing up in like all these movies, and the fact that he hasn't, I'm not disappointed because it's like they're, they are under no obligation to satisfy my fan writing in my head. Exactly. Um, but that would have at least given this momentum, which, you know, again, even if they don't articulate it, there's an idea there where it's like snuffing, you know, punching the problem away doesn't solve the problem. Like, like, Talk about the perfect villain to examine that idea in the context of superheroes. Kang could have been fantastic for that. But like I haven't seen a hint of that sort of, you know, thesis, that that story momentum anywhere in these
0: Marvel projects.
1: That doesn't mean any of them are bad. I'm just saying what they're lacking is that overall umbrella idea
0: yeah the the Kang thing it's interesting how how he was used in Loki uh you know season two three whatever season we're in right now <laughs> season uh, two it was season two and how uh it seems like forever <laughs> I've been looking at that brown background for eighty seven <laughs> years uh, <laughs> it it is it is my it is my one gripe about that thing, but I love that it looks different than other Disney products. They expanded a little bit.
1: Like you're still stuck in sort of that. Uh, I never know where it is, where the TVA is, and and I don't think season two solved that. But they gave you a lot more of the place, other than just like, oh, this is some anachronistic office, you know. Exactly. So I thought, I don't know, that was cool.
0: Yeah, but like just the, the way that the the way that it leaves the status quo and if you haven't seen the whole thing, maybe we could try to be tiny bit ambiguous, but I saw yeah, yeah. the the ending and how it tied everything together. <laughs> and it is interesting <laughs> that um that Loki has a new place now. I love that that Loki is different now and I love what that might mean going forward and how that could uh help to tie together some of these multiverse strands.
1: It's also worth noting that like that is the one disney project that actually kind of used kang in the way i was just talking about where Mm -hmm. you know the ant-man version of kang i guess is gone now but there's still all these other versions and if it's not going to be immortus or whomever like the victor timely thing and how that related back to he who remains who they introduced last season was sort of a great way to start looking at that idea and that was i mean it was kind of the it was kind of the button they put on the whole thing like you can't solve every problem by just taking care of like the one bad guy sometimes you got to go way beyond that and like to me again that's a that's a great thesis statement a thematic through line to use with the multiverse. I thought they did a great job of it. I also think it's worth noting Loki is a superhero show where it's not people in costumes and capes, you know, having laser fights with each other. I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to call it cerebral, but like it was as far away from, you know, a Batman movie as something could be while still being, through and through a superhero show. And I think that like that's where I would like to see, not necessarily Marvel, but just superheroes and media in general kind of move toward. It doesn't just have to be a good guy and his arch nemesis squaring off for the fate of the world.
0: Yeah, I I think also we need to look at how, I think people are very tired of the fact that in most movies that are, are super heroic in nature, there's always some overwhelming thing happening at the end. And then a missile or a laser or a punch or something hits the doohickey and all the enemy soldiers fall down and everything is done. What it's like, what the fuck are they all disintegrate? You know, right. It's so idiotic and preposterous and isn't how anything is ever done. And I just think, uh, we were hinting at it earlier in our in our opening thesis, but I think it's time to be go beyond he found the glowy thing. He mastered the armor or the sword. Then he fought the guy that looks just like him and defeated him. I think we're tired of that, certainly. I think we're tired mm-hmm. of that, whether it be has a Superman S or an Iron Man circle. We're tired of that bullshit, and I think we're tired. Ty- and, and the weird thing is, with serial storytelling, we wouldn't need these clean Star Wars. I blew up the droid uh, computer, and they all fell down. Type endings with all this fucking serialization. Isn't that the point that nothing's ever that nothing's no- nothing's ever over? As John Osterman said.
1: Again, yeah, I'm not trying to rag on Marvel, but I think that's one of the things that they've both done well and poorly throughout the years. Is like, in my mind, every movie should leave with the status quo completely upended, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we have changed the way the world works from the beginning of this movie. And you definitely see that in things like captain america the winter soldier right like shield is dismantled which had been a huge part of all those movies uh captain america is no longer he's like a fugitive he's no longer affiliated with the government Mm -hmm. uh black widow releases all of these secrets to the world at large like uh, maybe that was civil war whatever the case i was so jazzed by that ending For the same reason I was jazzed by the Dark Knight ending. Even And and in Mm -hmm. both cases, I don't think they paid it off adequately. Where it's like, that idea that your ending actually comes down to, Batman has to make that choice to take the blame for these crimes. And in so doing, is going to turn the city and his allies against him. It's going to be, hunt the Dark Knight back from the Dark Knight Returns. And it sucks that we never got that, but in proper serialized storytelling that is how you end a movie so that in the next movie you start with a totally different status quo and then you fucking change everything again like that's that's the exciting stuff that like serialized shared universes provide for you and i just think that like i don't know if it's because they want to play it safe in case something bombs so they don't have to commit whole hog to whatever it is that movie did or didn't do. But like that hesitancy, I think kills you with mediocrity. And I think, you know what? the Spider-Man No Way Home is another, both Spider-Man Far From Home and No Way Home is a great example where it's like, even if the world at large doesn't change, the hero's circumstances change completely. You know, you end the one movie, now the world knows his secret. You end the other movie, now nobody knows who he is at all. It's like, that's a great, roller coaster to take your audience on and i just think if if more of the movies embraced that everything you know changes by the time we get to the end of this movie even without your overriding you know thesis statement of your you know your phase you would get more people excited
0: no absolutely and i think it's interesting that when we're when we're entering some of these things like the status quo was ended where the status quo got super upended at the end of the first season of invincible which honestly i didn't know that they were i mean it seems obvious now that they would do that reveal at the end of the first season but it seems like them having like the the super balls to do it was pretty cool, and them deciding that you know there's a few issues of Invincible that don't necessarily need to get serialized right now. We need to kind of kind of get to the to part that would shock people. I love that choice. I think that's really cool. I also think though there is this weird groupthink um, that happens where it's like, okay, Steven Yeun is the voice of Invincible so now he's, it's theorized that he's going to be the Sentry as well, another super, super powerful character he's going to play in live action. It's like, yeah, I get that. I don't have any problem with the casting on any level, but it's almost like drafting off of Invincible in some way. I just that just seemed like a really weird just thing to decide to do.
1: Yeah. That also makes me think of literally today as we're recording this, I'm not sure when it'll come out, but today they announced that Nicholas Holt has been cast as Lex Luthor in the new Superman movie. And that's interesting to me because it was also reported that that dude screen tested for both Superman and Batman for the new James Gunn DC movies. Mm -hmm. And so it's like somebody just got a bug up their ass of like, we need to fucking work with Nicholas Holt in a big way. And so it's like, <laughs> let's just find a way to fit him in. And yeah, I wonder if the Stephen Yoon thing is kind of the same. It's like, all right, he's part of this hit thing, but they're not showing his face because he's just the voice. So let's put him in an even bigger role that doubles down on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hollywood people aren't above that sort of simple think.
0: Yeah, well, well it's 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 wild. So, I mean, and and I guess you get you get hot. I'm not begrudging anybody getting hot. You know what I'm saying? sure like, th- th- if you get hot, you get hot. I remember, remember those remember those salty old days where we had to watch Colin Farrell in every third fucking movie. Remember that time Fuck. Antonio Banderas got hot when we were kids? Every fucking thing had to have Antonio Banderas in space. He's Zorro, he's Desperado, he's fucking everything.
1: Remember that time when they tried to convince us that Sam Worthington was hot, and he oh was in like God. every third movie, and you uh, were just like, "Why? What the fuck
0: is going on <laughs> yeah that, that those were wild halcyon days um uh, but yeah. but yeah, so basically, when we're looking at something like Invincible, it kind of shows it it has carte blanche to actually show the uh the repercussions of superheroic activity in a non-Disney yeah. way. Even more so than something like The Boys because The Boys is still concerned with uh I guess until this new season they're going to this is going to be challenged, but The Boys seem to always be concerned with the Q score, with the public opinion because like we are just ants to them, but millions and millions and millions of ants can over can swarm anything. So it's like yeah, they and- always wanted to keep us pacified and now they see that maybe some of their overt villainy would be embraced by us. So maybe we'll get to see how, how far that's going to go in the, in the coming season. But I'm just saying, like, uh, it seems like it, the boys are too corporate to be like a Viltramite. A Viltramite does not give a fuck about a corporation. You right. know what I'm saying? They're above us so much. So they don't care about our corporations or our institutions or our religions or our anything. They don't care about that at all. And so him having that fight with his boy at the end of last season, that just totally basically destroyed the world. Dude. That's hard as fuck. And I hate to just be, praise the violence of it. It's, it's a disregard for our mores that I found so appealing.
1: Well, and I, I think that that was executed even better in the show than it was in the comic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's because everything is better uh, with a second pass. So now you can what Robert Kirkman was kind of making up as he went along. Now you could look back holistically and be like, all right, what are we really trying to do here? But Invincible ended up really being about that idea that like being a superhero takes its toll both on you personally and the world around you in a way that like is really shitty until you actually have the balls to say, all right, we got to find a new way to do all this shit. And so in that first season, being able to give the one-two punch of like, this is both the most devastating thing that can happen to your hero but also let's really crank it up a notch to show how devastating it can be for the world was such a smart decision because again it upends that milieu and sends you off on your story trajectory and and i think that like if invincible can continue to keep operating that way to not lose sight of as mark famously says in the comic being a superhero is bullshit as long as they follow that that guidepost and don't let themselves sort of sink into, oh, this is what the show is, so it should keep being that, mm. that's going to be a show that people are going to stay super interested in. And going back to the boys, if they've done one thing wrong, I think it, you know, I was waiting for season three to take us to that point. And spoilers for the comics and possibly for the show, if you haven't read it, skip forward 10 seconds, but Homelander in the comics kills the president and becomes dictator of the United States. And to me, that would be the perfect escalation of everything they had set up in the boys and also the next logical exploration of that intersection of corporations and politics
0: that Mm. the show has sort of been dabbling in since day one. I, I totally agree with that assessment. And, you know, maybe, you know, that's where uh, I, I just think maybe they want to milk the um they intrigue just a little bit more, because once you get to that, man, once, once I started introducing the fact that you could uh, recreationally take compound V, I was also like. I don't know about this. It seems like a little bit too soon. This, I mean, yeah. It seems like a natural graduation, but just a tiniest bit too soon. And maybe just having one person be qualified to take it that they hang out with. And then you pooch him at the end of the season because he blows up from using it too much. <laughs> I must go to my people. <laughs> <laughs> Which weirdly kind of happened at the end yeah. of season three of The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Ah, oh, that's true. <laughs> oh shit! Oh god, that's funny. So so yeah. So I I think I think it's interesting that the boys corporatism meeting its politics. I think uh the Invincibles, like star spanning nature, meeting its like oh this is bullshit. We're we're above. We're superheroing is just this sugar coated topping yes. of the of the cosmic power struggle that's happening all over the universe. You know. Uh, I think that's, I think that's super dope. And frankly, like if we're talking about
1: where this all is going, hopefully people who want to tell superhero stories have kind of learned that lesson from Marvel that like I've been saying, you need to think about the milieu. And then like we've been saying, also you need to, the, the best stories that you could tell upend that status quo and keep playing with that milieu to stay fresh. And I think where that brings us to and what I've, what's I what been on my mind lately is like what James Gunn is going to do with the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Um, he is birthing this new thing into a world of supposed superhero fatigue. I'm very... I think that more than anything Marvel does in the next couple of years is going to be the real litmus test for is
0: superhero fatigue real or not. It's so funny that like we are... As a culture obsessed with binaries. And yeah. it's funny, I, and it's it's crazy that like um I guess we're also obsessed with monopolies, <laughs> you know. Uh <laughs> so it's just like when the we're obsessed with binaries and we want there to be like the Lakers versus Celtics, the the Patriots versus <laughs> Uh, the rules um anyway <laughs> well said <laughs> for our three sports fan listeners <laughs> yeah they got that one good they're like oh shit a hearty sports laugh in the middle of this <laughs> fucking market report about these fuckers um but yeah the the, the thing that's interesting to me about these binaries is okay let's let's just buy into the premise that you need healthy competition to be your best and marvel with no competition has gone fallow with just deciding to flood the market with literally everything they could ever think of it's expanding their stuff to where they're hitting all of these um Aspects of the Marvel Universe that kind of push the Marvel Universe into a different shape, right? Uh, uh, Moon Knight fighting kaiju on giant, you know, pyramids and shit is like a different section of the world. The Eternals, the big hand coming out of the ocean, uh, Miss yeah. Marvel with with uh, basically Jin from the Noor dimension coming here and doing stuff, and the Noor dimension being connected with the celestial god artifacts from outer space. Hmm. Connecting, mm-hmm. you know, with with Miss Marvel's, you know, newer dimension and all all this shit, and Shang Chi is it's like physical magic for lack of a better word. Doctor Strange sure. seems to be cos cosmic, uh, Shang Chi seems to be uh, spiritual and physical magic. You know, the velt or whatever the Black Panther people see as part of some sort of mutagenic connection through, through the soil and the and the and the plants to some cosmic, you know, void. All this jazz. DC is like, look, man, we're classic punches and faces for a minute. Let's just establish a classicism. And I think that that is where they're going to go. And I think that that's what gun is marshalling. N- not this, the real world tweaked. This is the DC universe proper. And like you've always been saying, Bill, it seems like the fucking DC universe needs to be 30 years ahead of us and just roll with it. And
1: and more than that, I mean, I think the DC universe needs to feel dangerous in a way that like the Marvel universe in the movies really hasn't un- up until your Infinity War and your endgame, right? Mm. Like the Marvel universe was really about like these outsized powers kind of encroaching on a fairly realistic world. I've always wanted the DC universe to feel like Hey, whether Batman's there or not, like somebody may murder the entire city of Gotham and like Mm -hmm. whether Superman's there or not, like Metropolis might get pulled into, you know, the phantom zone or a black hole or like an an outsized number of people in these worlds are like megalomaniacs and evil geniuses. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like you have to have superheroes or else earth would have disappeared 50 years ago. Like, Mm -hmm. if they're going to do classic superheroes go that far with it you know we're fighting mad scientists and evil dictators and like ultra powerful god descended beings and people who have control over the elements and like if you're gonna go go and like again that would be something we haven't seen and it would be An interesting way to use that shared universe if it's literally like anything can happen and every movie does something absolutely audacious with its characters, with its city, with its whatever, leaving you kind of no choice but to address it moving forward. I I would love to see that. I don't know if we will, but it's one one storytelling opportunity without getting too granular that I think they could take advantage of.
0: Well, and also just as it sees on that point, it's that is a world where it's the inverse of what Vision said. It isn't the (laughs) superhero strength that invites challenge. It's the fact that the world is challenged as fuck, and we need a paragon of virtue like Superman. We need a guy in the dark like Batman. And I just want to, before we go into Superman talk, because I I always have to do a little Bat Chat. I think think people like it. They keep coming back. But the, the thing... I just want to see in this Batman world the same way that Superman needs to be challenged by Lex Luthor who would rule the world if Superman wasn't there. I think that the the overall corruption and shittiness of Gotham still has never been adequately displayed on a motherfucking screen i have never to this day seen a gotham so fucked up that it needed an asshole in a bat suit jumping around kicking people in the mouth to this day i haven't seen it they tried to say it was that way with the, the batman I like that movie. I like that movie more than I thought I did when I first... I, I thought when I first saw it, I saw it as a classic that it actually was. Then I started trying to take it apart. And then I put it back together. And it's pretty classic. It has some kind of... Some things about it, like uh, the, the chase scene that leads nowhere and doesn't do anything. That could have been a real dope-ass scene to go catch the Riddler towards the end. Things sure. like that. But like overall, my only real problem with it is it's goddamn more Bat Copaganda. And I just... <laughs> God damn it. For once and for all, Batman is such a hero because he's fighting a war on at least two to three fronts. He is yeah. fighting fucking the top, top, top level of mafia street crime, not boom boxes on the subway, not people selling fucking waters or barbecuing in the fucking uh, <laughs> you know park for the Karens to call. None of that bullshit. He's fighting the top, top CEOs and big people of the city doing weird shit. He's fighting the top, top gangsters, and he's fighting weirdos who are trying to supplant the gangsters for sheer fearsomeness and costumery and and bigness and movie theatrics. So that's two fronts. And the last front is the goddamn police. He has to fight supervillains, mobsters, and fucking police. That's why he's needed. But every fucking time they get a chance to put this motherfucker in a room full of cops, they do it. And it sucks, and it's dumb. And it's why Batman looks so fucking dumb to the layman. the mature layman who smokes pipes and reads real Sherlock Holmes books and shit and comes to this material finds it wanting for that reason, I think. yeah, Because when they think of it logically, any sort of logic applied to Batman, obviously jumping out windows with a bad costume is not logical. Okay, moving past that. The logical um, reaction of a city to this outsized do-gooder he would be as hated and vilified as I thought he was going to be in the third movie coming off of a uh, dark Knight. that, that, right. that, that filled me with energy watching him run and his stupid floppy Joel Schumacher ears uh, <laughs> wafting <laughs> while the dogs were chasing him. Yeah. Uh, I know Nolan directed that, but those were some Schumacher ears while he was running. And it was just <laughs> like, fuck, this is, this is the, this is the juice baby. The Batman must exist because the cops can't help you because they're too fucking corrupt. And, and with the good cops, when they come to a place, they get sprayed down with goddamn acid. You know what I'm saying? Coming out of right. you know uh, fire trucks that are purple. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and then gangsters run your neighborhood and, and and charge you a giant vig every time you go buy a chopped cheese. It's $15 because these guys are shaking down the local grocers. Your, your quality of life is fucked up without Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, to be honest with you, like, that is something that bugs me, that between Nolan and the Batman, there has been this obsession with Batman sort of fighting like 1940s style, "Eh, see, type of gangsters. And I find that so regressive, where it's like, like, gangsters should almost, those types of gangsters should almost be obsolete in Batman's world. And that was one of the, again, one of the things that I loved that the Dark Knight I thought was doing, and then they just couldn't fully commit to it. But it's like Batman fighting gangsters, like an old school film noir, is great for, for certain comic book projects that want to capture the feeling of a Humphrey Bogart movie, fine. Mm-hmm. But just really really quickly,
0: there's a whole school of thought that thinks that Batman only works in the 40s or something like that because of the fact that like like, they think that he and the shadow have the same limitation of as we grow with technology, they lose their appeal. Obviously, that is not fucking correct with Batman. I do believe he's a tiny bit too technological and a lot of representations these days. But I digress.
1: Yeah. My only point being that, like, if you're trying to create something with legs for lack of better way to put it, like a Batman in a shared universe to do Mm -hmm. the thing that DC wants to do, it's like Batman almost needs to be like the last hope on the brink of the apocalypse. Mm -hmm, You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's what it needs to feel like in Gotham. And it's not the apocalypse because there's a climate disaster that's going to flood the streets or, you know, helped along by Poison Ivy or whatever, uh, or the Riddler in some vans, as the case may be. But... (laughs) The apocalypse, because it's like there's literally, you know, unregulated capitalists are like brewing toxic chemicals that are they're selling to, you know, terrorists all over the world. And all those fumes are like leaking out into the neighborhoods as guys with like disfigurements and and crazy, weird mutagenic powers are shaking down normal people. You know, it's like. And there's a secret society of ultra wealthy that are controlling everything, including the police and every cop on the force is actually moonlighting for, you know, some disfigured whack job. And like you said, there's people with weird ultra scientific gimmicks where it's like, I've got an acid spraying gun attached to my ice cream van and I'm going to fucking drive down the street, murdering everybody with a, with a gush of acid. You know, it's like that's batman's world and in that world batman like creeps around through windows in the middle of the night stealing shit from everybody just so that he can get a handle on what the fuck is even going on then from that you graduate to well the corruption isn't just in gotham the whole fucking system is corrupt and now batman is like a fucking freedom fighter who has to essentially like serve as a james bond type going up against the u.s government but oh what's that the u.s government has their own team of superheroes that they've been putting together that isn't the fucking suicide squad but maybe is the authority and now it's like how does batman take down a bunch of fucking superheroes and then it's and you could keep graduating it from there but it's like you shouldn't be afraid of those fantastical elements the whole idea is that Batman is a dude in a weird costume who is constantly going deeper and deeper. And in so doing getting more and more over his head. And mm-hmm. what's cool about him is that he always finds a way out of it. You know what I mean? And like, right. That's not that thing. he's prepared
0: for everything, not that right. he's prepared for everything. He's over his head and he gets out of it by the skin of his teeth because of his preparation in regards to his body and his mind and all this type of shit. But he doesn't show up everywhere with a trace busta buster. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't show up everywhere with an anti everything in his belt. That's not the thing. With some thermite and a couple of like uh, frosty things he stole from Mister Freeze a couple cases ago, that type of shit he has like from his adventures or like blah blah. It isn't that he has a bat shark repellent. It isn't that he has a machine that can hack anything all the time. It isn't. Read those Grant Morrison JLA's guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just they really kind of put him in a position where with his quote unquote limited resources of just what you could fit in a belt he would always put them together MacGyver like to solve a crime or solve a problem or he would go get the tools he needed like when he needed to go get matches and gasoline to deal with the white Martians or you know so on and so forth he'll get what he needs you know Uh, and he'll identify the problem quicker than anybody that's his superpower
1: yeah so I I mean I think again what we're talking about here is like, how can you put Batman in a milieu? That's the word of the day, and I'm overusing it, I know. But like, how can you put Batman in a milieu that makes him more interesting than we've seen him before? And to be Mm. honest, I don't think it's that hard because they seem to keep telling a lot of the same stories with Batman. And as much as I fucking love the Dark Knight, and I do, it's not all that dissimilar from tim burton's joker story you know what i mean mm, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like to me when i'm when i say mill you i'm not just talking about like the design of gotham city i'm talking about like how shit works on a very fundamental level between all the characters and what that means both for batman and for the city at large and like it's not just this is a Gothic landscape and a maniac shows up. And if he's successful, he's going to kill a lot of people. It needs to just be more than that. And so far they really haven't done it. So there's room left to work. Yeah. That's, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Well, and also just uh, the, the we've talked about power creep in comic books. I think it's time for us to talk about it in the actual, um, the DC universe in specific Because DC Mm. Universe is always the home of the overpowered and everything's crazy. And Marvel is supposed to be the one that's sort of like the real world, but just a little bit graduated. I think you just buy into that all the way with these next projects, like how you were hinting at, basically, if indeed some of the rumors are true. And that the villains in the first um, Superman movie could conceivably be either Lex Luthor directing the authority or Lex Luthor sort of funding the authority and authority being kind of his guys, not, maybe not even knowing they're his guys, but you know, the authority being a superheroic, quote unquote, sort of corporate team that runs metropolis with an iron fist with a certain sort of superhero wing that is kind of, uh, fascistic. Ge- yeah, fascistic. Exactly. And then Superman is just this kid off the bus. And he's just like, oh man, I love metropolis. Oh, this seems kind of a uh, iron fisty around here. there's a lot of fucked up shit going on. I'll, I'll, investigate as a, as a reporter. Cause I clearly can't get involved because you know, blah, but you know, and then so on, he gets deeper yeah. and deeper and then he has to be superman. And if he does take them down and also in the Superman way, make them good guys, you know what I'm saying? Not kill yes. them, not laser them apart, beat them up a little bit, but show them the error of their ways and put Lex Luthor in a fucked up position where he's going to have to graduate or bring his super villainy out into the, the real, um right view. And that's the, that's the way that the world is graduated at the end of the first Superman movie. That's kind of interesting uh, along those lines. I think in the first Batman movie, he's just doing all the stuff we talked about. And then maybe at the end of the, maybe the second or third, some fucker comes around and he is so badass and he dresses like a clown, but he's super cool and he fucks people up for living. This guy is fucking Batman shit up. And he's the graduation of all the weird mutagenic stuff that he's been fighting for two movies. The Joker is like, the hyper graduation of this mutagenic monster that comes out of the slums basically made by the greed of gotham and it is in 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 a sick way he is the people batman has mm. to come to grips with the fact that he's fighting the people on some way because like maybe maybe borrowing a little bit from that goofy joker movie maybe some twisted aspects of the people around gotham like the fact that this dude is taking on what they think of as a status quo why are we ruled by a monster who slinks away at night and tears up our property and blows shit up hey man bruce Wayne makes a lot of grants to take care of the cars i smash when i'm coming through the town man fuck you you know like batman is still such a shadowy figure that nobody trusts him and maybe he's fucking shit up maybe he fucks up bad at the end of the second movie and like this grassroots mutagenic monster thing that batman goes okay i'm just gonna swing down here and beat his ass But this thing's super Mm. strong. It's laughing at you while it's beating your ass. It's stabbing you a hundred times before you can even move. You're like, this dude's crazy. We got to get together to fuck up the Joker. The Joker isn't some pussy. He's a bad thing.
1: It's been announced that the first Batman movie is Batman and Robin. And it's going to be about Batman and Damien um, getting together. And that just makes me also based on James Gunn's fandom that or, or what he is revealed of his fandom. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that Grant Morrison Batman run is the real inspiration for the movie Batman that leans more into like the international man of mystery, James Bondy type Batman, but it does also introduce a lot of league of assassins as a shadowy cabal. They create man bat ninjas in the Grant Morrison run, which is Mm -hmm. more of just like a weird gimmick, but also like, that could be dope as shit in the in the uh, context of a movie where it sort of does that exact thing that we're talking about, where it's like Batman's trying to help his city, and suddenly he's literally fighting like flying monsters that are trained like just as well as he is, and it's like, what the fuck have I gotten
0: myself into? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can. I don't know, I, man. I am,
1: that could be dope.
0: I'm a firm proponent of the world travel guy batman but part of me was just like maybe i just disbelieved that they would actually start with batman and damien because that would be so like you gotta do the league of shadows thing you gotta do do all that story i guess i just jettisoned it from my mind but yeah if they're gonna start him out with a partner i'm just saying by the time we bring the fucking joker or any of those losers around just have him have it be needed that robin has to be there without robin Batman would get fucked up by Killer Croc, the Joker, these guys. He would get fucked up by them. I mean, I
1: think the great thing that the Damien version of Robin brings to the story is that he is more brutal and more kind of no-nonsense than Batman is. And so if you're not going to play that for laughs like Morrison did with his Dick Grayson Batman and Damien Robin, if you're going to play it more as a father and son dynamic I mean, the idea of like that forcing Batman to sort of adopt more of like a, I don't know, responsible, like, whoa, 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 we don't do that shit here um, point of view. I don't know how that plays with everything we've talked about for Batman, but it's at least something like way different than any Batman we've seen because (laughs) Batman's uh, in the movies have just gotten progressively more and more sadistic with the amount of violence that they're willing to dole (laughs) out on people. So like, I don't know, maybe that's going to be an interesting course correct.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the only part that I I think um I definitely have faith in it, but I have the least amount of faith in that. I think his ability to see what Superman should be, especially when you look at the castings. Oh. Mm. These mm. castings are pretty good, man. I mean, down, fucking to the, good, dude. down to the down to the Jimmy Olsen, the kid from Righteous Gemstones. That kid is great. I love that kid. I love everything about that kid. 100%.
1: No, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, just derailing a little bit into just reaction. Like, I was a 1,000% on board just with David Cornswet, who I've been pimping for years at this point. And caping for him. (laughs) Oh, dude. But and then Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane, like, could be, should be the greatest on screen Lois Lane ever. That that alone was enough to get me. But now it's like, as we're going into, I mean, even just like the fun James Gunn shit with like Nathan Fillion playing Guy Gardner. Say whatever you want about Nicholas Holt and somebody in the casting department being in love with him. I think he could play an interesting Lex Luthor. He certainly has the bearing to do it. Um, and then, yeah, Jimmy Olsen, that's a great cast. The fact that they've cast the fucking engineer from the authority. And then you think about if they do play her as a villain, does that mean they're going to cast more of the authority and play them as villains? And then the idea of Superman versus the authority, especially the version of the engineer as portrayed by Warren Ellis, like that's going to make for some fucking interesting action. I don't know, man. Like it's shaping up to be, uh, better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, hopefully Batman will turn out the same way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it just it, like it said, I said, Damien's my favorite um, of the Robins and stuff. And again, that Batman and that Damien are the people I would think are most likely to be able to survive in a world where Superman is needed. And I think sure. that power creep, that upgrade, that sort of Batman, you know, beating up 10 guys isn't isn't hard for batman in this world like 52 guys batman goes all right you loop around there i'll take out these 52 guys real quick with like six moves you know like yeah. just the, the he's a super duper guy this isn't a bunch of just punching the same guy in a rain soaked alley 13 times to show how brutal you are while nirvana plays it's not right. that way i think that world is dead in regards to the the james gunn verse and i, I love that so and people can kind of get their sad, misshapen Batman another two or three times from uh, from your boy, and it'll be fine, and it'll be good, and and the X yeah. Lords will really like it. I'll really like it, probably, especially if he starts super detecting, especially if he's able to, for lack of a better word, Nolanize a couple of other uh, villains, you know, uh, to make the make it seem like. There's some reason why a guy would freeze people, and there's some means mm. by which he uses like a saw guy type of way or something that makes him Mr. Freeze or something. I don't know, just spitballing here. Uh, for, or like the Killer Croc having an actual fucking skin condition and basically super strength and biting the shit out of people all through the night and shit. You know, shit that maybe James Gunn and them aren't going to be interested in because they're fighting, like you said, maybe man bat ninjas, maybe League of Assassin guys in mech suits or whatever the fuck. Whatever they're going to be doing. Leave that to this sort of uh, Nolan verse 2.5 uh, of the Batman. I would love that. That would be great. That'd be great diversification of their of their superhero portfolio. I would love that. It, it's something that Marvel can't do. It's yeah. like one of the things that they can't do is do something non serialized with a giant character, a non serialized, non connected Black Panther series. Marvel can't do that. Yeah. We fuck it, you know, and not to miss that character for any reason. Think of any other character, Iron Man. Fuck it, any sure. character, just use them in whatever way you want and whatever iteration you want, and just play with those ideas. I, I fucking love that, and DC can really do it. So yeah. that's that's kind of a feather in their cap. Um, so are there any? Is there anything about the way that? you think superhero stories should evolve uh, beyond these things we've just said, because for me, just my personal opinion, I do think we need to go to the fact that there are certain aspects of the world that never interact. Like if there was a Kung Fu magic version of uh, let's say uh bronze tiger <laughs> that sure. happened that nobody our fam- our ever
1: to your character.
0: <laughs> yeah. That and nobody has to ever fucking mention bronze tiger in a batman movie and vice versa it's just there's this kung fu underworld where batman doesn't even go and doesn't even know about and bronze tiger is the king there you know it's just like you guys got so many characters they have so many sweet street level characters who need to live in the world where frankly people aren't flying overhead all the time love to see a black canary or birds of prey project like, the Birds of Prey take care of Bloodhaven or something. You know what I'm saying? Gotham is Batman's territory, and the Birds of Prey take care of Bloodhaven or something. You know, the, the sort of thing where all these street-level characters can exist and not have to have constant people flying overhead. And when the superhero guys, you know, are doing their thing, they don't have to worry about running into the daredevil of DC, you know, and giving a fuck about them. I don't need to see people weaker than Superman in Superman's movie. You know I <laughs> You know, yeah, I want to see him challenged, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I've i
1: always felt that there was room to kind of treat your movies as tears like that. But even like if you're going to do a Bronze Tiger movie, I think two things. Number one, don't just do it to do it because they made that Birds of yeah. Prey movie with the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. And that just felt like. It was fine. Like, it was it was a fairly well-made movie. The casting was all pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. some of those people gave interesting performances. Perfectly enjoyable. But, like, you get to the end of the movie and you're just like, well, that happened. You know, and, and, like, say whatever you will about something like Joker. That was a movie that didn't need to happen. But they found a way to make it feel like the story was... Doing something more than just like giving you an adventure. Yes. And to me, if you're going to make those one off movies, that's what you need to do. Like, give it a reason to exist beyond just like, hey, it'd be cool to see fucking Wildcat in a movie. And, you know, he's never going to get his own. So let's just put him in this movie.
0: Um, yeah. I think, I think they could really relax on doing that bullshit because, again, they have so many things where they could all be together. I mean, shit. I put wild cat broadside. I put five different other cat characters. Cat. Well, man, that's my, the, the cat, the cat movie. <laughs> no, but so that's, I mean, that's my other point
1: is like, I think there's like this idea of doing parallel tracks for your A list characters and your B list and your C list characters mm-hmm. could be really interesting. If you number one, come up with a story that has a reason to exist, but then number two, you fucking load it up with C-list characters. Like part Mm -hmm. of me has always wanted to see DC do like a Challengers of the Unknown Mm -hmm. movie, which sounds lame as shit because who even knows who the Challengers of the Unknown are? But there's an interesting chemistry between those characters, but also because they are sort of like the planetary of the DC universe. You know, they're the guys who go on missions that uh, nobody else will take. It's like, you take that and you throw in all of your C list, obscure reference DC characters you can muster. And like, You don't need to have fucking Batman or Superman or even, you know, The Flash or Blue Beetle or whatever in there. It's like start mining shit out of like 1960s, 1950s comics, anything even tangentially sci-fi related. It's like, that's where you get shit. Like, honestly, like the, the thing that makes me think of this is everything out of Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Can you make a New Frontier style movie but just take all the big heroes out of it? Maybe that's the way to do a Martian Manhunter movie. Like, depower his ass so he's not just another Superman. And then it's like the fucking Challengers of the Unknown and King Faraday and the Losers and maybe Red Tornado, one of these characters. They're just chasing this Martian or, you know, this Martian on Earth and they're trying to find him and they're chasing him around. Or like you said with the Bronze Tiger movie just put uh, put Lady Shiva in there if they're not going to find a way to work her into Batman. Put, mm-hmm. like, every great martial artist, put fucking Wildcat, put fucking Catman. Yeah, make it a cat movie. Like, <laughs> to me, that would be super cool. If it's, like, not every movie has to be a headlining character or a headlining team, this is just going to be the showcase for all these fucking movies that nobody would think they would ever want to see, and you're just going to smash them up into something that, like, feels meaningful and cool as shit that would be awesome
0: <laughs> uh yeah and last things last on on this thing i believe also max not really making money on max is fucked because yeah. dude they if they were able to just make original content that they didn't have to sell to everybody the fact that I could pop open uh, we had this conversation you could look at the last thing about uh movies uh the, the greatest movies of the last 5 years uh we just did an episode about that and bro everything is on Netflix dude everything yeah. and it's crazy because it's like that means that max is probably not going to be like making the like uh that that high prestige monarch TV show that's on um, on on uh, A plus or, or Apple TV, yeah. that thing. It's obvious they put enough money in there to have fucking Godzilla in it for a couple frames at least. Imagine something with almost that much budget, but it's like the Golden Age. You remember that fucking book that James yeah. Robinson fucking uh, Paul yeah. Smith, the Golden Age. Some shit like that, like just Fuck get yeah. nuts, do some shit like that. Because DC, it, it, there's one thing that DC has, it's history and its future state are both better than marvel full stop right i just think that's true and yeah. so if they could understand that and start doing things you know things that are out of time the bronze the bronze tiger movie takes place in 1910 and then we flash forward to 2023 and the same dude's playing bronze tiger what the fuck intrigue (laughs) you know what i mean sure yeah you know just whatever the fuck's going on i I just love that sort of stuff if we are going to do connectivity like having having lady shiva be in a movie and then having like i don't know some lady shiva shows up with the with in the bronze tiger movie and then she shows up as like this paragon of training dudes in the uh in the batman movie but you don't see her until she like Appears in the next movie. She fucks Batman up for a living. They're like, damn. Yeah. Wow. Lady Shiva really put it down. Well, and you know what? You know what actually gives me some hope about
1: that is the fact that James Gunn is doing creature commandos,
0: which is
1: the first official DC Universe project. It is one of their obscure long in the tooth titles. And it's kind of exactly what we're talking about. It's an opportunity to just smash together a bunch of weird fucking C-list characters, but do something cool with it, which is also what James Gunn did with Guardians of the Galaxy, arguably made that like the most emotionally impactful trilogy that Marvel's done, you know. I think he sees some opportunity. I think where the rubber meets the road is like, can you figure out how to package and market that? I've always wanted DC to just make a standalone movie and just fucking call it the unknown. And it's just about like the challengers of the unknown investigating some weird fucking shit where you can just cram in all those obscure sci-fi things. I think creature commandos is a great opportunity. You just cram in all those obscure DC horror elements, you know, like you're saying, bronze tiger could be a great opportunity to just cram in all those DC bare knuckle street level characters. Like I think I, I don't, and I don't even think you have to make that period pieces. I don't think you need to like that could all be happening concurrent with your Superman and Batman taking mm-hmm. on the authority or white Martians or whatever sort of big crazy shit they're going to do. And it mm-hmm. just adds texture to that world.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. To my mind, uh, this concept—I've always talked about the nerfing of Superman, but like, I was watching that new, uh, new new-ish Lois and Clark thing, and it's on, uh, it's on Max, like I guess in its entirety, I guess. And I've been watching it, and dude, Superman was like, he was in Smallville and he was chilling out, and then he heard a North Korean submarine going down, and I'm like, you know what? Stop that shit. (laughs) <laughs> we gotta stop that shit <laughs> gotta stop that shit dude it's yeah. insane he would just be ripping and running all day there's somebody dying now yeah. now somebody yeah. just died died now now somebody just died So four people died in the time that it took me to say that so like superman not saving those people is like a fucking crime if you can hear everybody but if he's a little nerfed and we sh- and we don't necessarily have to show it in the show or in the movie, it's just that like, yeah, Lois is across town and she's screaming her lungs out and it gets cut off and he can't hear her anymore because they put in a soundproof booth and he has to right. be like, fuck, how far away was that? How far should I fly? Oh, fuck. You know what I'm saying? It's something of that nature. And then having Bronze Tiger and all these different things and people doing crimes in different places just if he can hear everything, nobody would ever do a crime anywhere. So just nerf that a little bit and show that there's things beneath Superman's notice. And it's not because he's an asshole, it's because he's got bigger fish to fry, literally, big fish men from another dimension in exosuits <laughs> with kryptonite <laughs> bullets to exactly. fucking fight. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> you know no I,
1: I i agree man and i think the solution to superhero fatigue is kind of everything we've been talking about i think number 1 change up your settings don't just keep you know making it ah it's the real world but with a couple of these things thrown in like get crazy with it in mm-hmm. addition to changing up your milieu come up with stories that have a reason to exist i think we're so over just doing origin stories or like you said before, just doing there's a glowy thing and everybody wants it and we got to get it before the bad guy gets it. Or we have a multiverse and there's something coming through and we have to get it back to its own universe before time collapses or before the army shows up or whatever. It's like you got to find something more thematically resonant with your setups.
0: hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, yeah, I think thinking of it less as like, well, we need to sustain these ongoing stories in the same way that the comics do. So we're going to just kind of keep we can't change things too much. You know, we got to ha- make sure that we keep all these iconic elements for every new outing, blah, blah, blah if they can get away from that and fucking change things up. And like we were just saying, let there be levels where it's like, Hey, some really fucking weird under the radar, non-life threatening, but still compelling stories are happening. Tell those fucking stories. You know, this all just comes down to like, if super, if superhero fatigue is real, it's just because one company has been trying to get away with telling the same stories too much. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: and maybe that's true. I think we, you know, we we went through a lot of yeses and nos to that statement early in the episode. But like, I I just think that if again, if you think of superheroes as everything from the boys to Marvel to the Northmen and everything everywhere all at once, to even movies like Mission Impossible. Which I'm still shocked that that basic formula hasn't been transported more into other properties.
0: That's the that's the street level DC universe movie. It's totally. they're dealing with world level threats where it's like Superman's punching a robot at the same time that the cricket, you know, uh, or whatever the fuck the noise, whatever the fuck some weird some weird out some weird algorithmic robot thingy that's going to ruin the world is happening on this punchy level down here it's just as important but these these are punchy people not flying and punching people i just love that that the world is that complex and i think that would be super sick and be like you know and when and even if you want to have it be that eventually these super people i mean these super good uh imf soldiers meet superheroes at some point and they're just like hey man i don't i don't think you guys can handle blah blah it's like I've saved the world so many fucking times while you were a little kid in Smallville. Yeah. I know who the fuck you are. When you were a little kid and Smallville jacket off, I was saving the fucking world. So don't you talk down to me, you goddamn alien cocksucker or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Dude, that's what I'm talking really, about. Yeah. Whether, whether it's Challengers of the unknown or bronze
1: tiger, it's like you create that small scale C list movie. And you know what? If it pops, whole of guardians of the galaxy and yeah somewhere down the line they're meeting Mm -hmm. superman or batman or whatever but like Mm -hmm. i think it's just that that diversity of content you know it's the only way to make good movies let alone good superhero movies yeah 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 and i think james gunn seems to get that i mean everything he said seems to indicate that he understands that And if other filmmakers are going to learn that lesson from this era of superhero fatigue, I think that's the lesson worth learning. You know, this idea that oh, shared universes can't work or, you know, people are just sick of superhero stories. I just think that's kind of bullshit and I I don't see the real evidence for it, but time will tell.
0: Yeah. So guys, uh, one thing time will tell us is that you should leave a five star review <laughs> on this podcast because it will stand the test of time. It's your it's your will and testament to the universe that you listen to this, and that you love these conversations, that you love these deep explorations of these themes, uh, that you love our our, our attempts at um, world building on the fly. You know, mm. uh, And uh, speaking of which, uh, you can check out Reboot It, our YouTube channel. Boy, it's like, an, it's like a, a museum now, I guess, more than anything. Oh. But goddamn, we were kicking some fucking ass, rebooting different franchises, bringing a bunch of really cool ideas to the table and showing that one day, one day soon, and very soon, we're going to be making some of these decisions and some of these properties.
1: Listen, I just want the next iteration of Reboot It to be launch it with our, <laughs> own, our own properties, yes. fully fleshed out, ready to fucking go. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, well that'll be its final form. It was we were you guys watch the pupa and later you'll see the the true monarch butterfly. <laughs> um, but also uh we would like you to uh, join our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Uh, it is super awesome. And I think our next watch along, we watched Mark for Death. Which I think is oh, an yeah. all time classic. We've also watched uh, Jackie Brown. We've watched Civil War, and we also do a bunch of other like uh, exclusive and early listen things on there as well. So check out the Patreon; it's pretty sick.
1: Yeah, I uh, I love the content on the Patreon. Sometimes I-, I have more fun doing that stuff than what we do here on the main feed. And uh, also, you know, I know that uh, it's been hit or miss recently, but I I've, we're still trying to keep up with our artwork for the artwork tier patrons um i've got another thing that uh, i'll be sending to ed and ron to distribute and uh i think that also dovetails the other place i'm going to be looking to distribute a little bit of art is at la comic-con and we have an appearance coming up there
0: yes we have two panels a nerdy stand-up show and our own panel where we're going to do what we do live
1: Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, like I said before, I'm going to have a few limited run prints of my artwork with me. If you come up, if you find me, and the easiest way to do that is going to be to come to our panel. But feel free to bother me if you find me walking the floor. If you bug me and uh, just start talking comics with me and ask if I've got any prints left, I will give you a signed original print from some of my artwork. I'll have some of uh, some of the stuff you could see up on my instagram up there uh but yeah that'll be just a little added bonus little incentive uh to come up and say hello when we're at la comic-con
0: yes and um check the schedule we don't know exactly when our panels are i think i think they're both on saturday though and i think the nerdy stand-up one is later in the day that's what Mm. i know so far but the bottom Mm -hmm. line is la comic-con for all the people who are local they can come check us out in the flesh and press the flesh uh to to a certain degree don't get weird um
1: (laughs) Don't press press all the flesh, you know, just appropriate (laughs) areas of flesh.
0: Oh, man, I got enough flesh for everybody to press. I got to hit the gym tomorrow, Uh, but uh, especially with with Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, And that's another thing. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays to everybody who uh, is thankful for things, I guess. Mm. And uh, we I am thankful for uh, this podcast going strong, thankful for producer Bill and for the uh, for Ron Swallow in absentia. It was just his birthday. Happy birthday, Ron. Please Happy buy birth. his fucking album, uh, On the Wing of a Dragon, which I did the cover art for. So thanks for listening to another never-fatiguing,
1: always-inventive episode of The Greatest oh!